Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 is back. And one man short. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. I was applauding us being back, not being one man short. I don't want anyone <laughs> to miss it. Yep. What I'm saying, I love Paul. There's going to be a lot of mixed signals there that I'm clapping when he says we're one man short. That's not the case. PK out today with a graduation for young Simon. So congratulations to Simon Kuharski. Uh, big show planned today across the Outkick Network. We will have Ryan Leaf, former number two overall pick, uh, behind Peyton Manning, of course Heisman Trophy finalist, and he's going to be in town uh, for a mental health seminar that is taking place right here in Nashville. Uh, and uh, some, some great stories uh, behind the scenes that we'll ask him about. For instance, I want to know what he did the night of the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Because that group with Charles Woodson, Randy Moss, and Peyton Manning and him, I don't know what happened after the fact with all of that. That's, that's coming up in about 15 minutes. By the way, if you go back and look at the video of that Heisman ceremony, yeah. it's the most quintessential 90s wardrobe that you've For ever sure. seen from everyone on that panel. Randy Moss is in shades inside, right? Uh, yeah, he was in shades, I think, because he was like... He was kind of freaking out a little bit. With yeah, the he was like nervous, he said, yeah. the whole time. But he had, he had the shades on. Those suits that were so big <laughs> that were in the night. Like, it's so funny to go back. It's like a parody sketch yeah. when you watch it of the 90s wardrobes when you see that Heisman ceremony from the 1997 season. Ryan Leaf scheduled to be with us. Uh, that's coming up in about 15 minutes. John McClain from the Houston Chronicle is also on the show today. NFL headlines coming up at 12.15. And in the Tennessee Power Hour, uh, the Tennessee Vols getting a new commitment. Plus, the Predators fall in game two. And, man, did they play hard. If you listen to their head coach, they just they just play so hard. I don't know what everyone um, was watching last night, yeah. but getting shut out is great. It's perfect. It's nothing to see here. Nothing wrong with that. Anybody who had a problem with the Preds getting shut out, you need to go somewhere else because that was a great effort and performance by the Preds last night. What an effort by Kluber last night with a, another no-hitter. The sixth no-hitter in Major League Baseball this season, and it's May 20th. It happened on May 19th. The sixth no-hitter. The record, the modern era record, is seven in a season. And Outkick actually had the story yesterday uh, after the, the Tigers did this on the road in Seattle with the no-hitter. Would we see the record and, and the new record set where we see three more. Well, we saw one right after, the, the night after we saw one against Seattle. I think Seattle's been no-hit twice this year, by the way. They, they've been no-hit twice in two and a half weeks. Because the Orioles did it to them. Yes, it's been like two weeks they've been no-hit twice. So that leaves the question, will we see one tonight? Could Trevor Bauer well, be on the mound tonight? Here's my question, and David Reed brought this up also, so I think he agrees with me on this. Is this really good for the game? Is this good for baseball to have this many no-hitters? It is home run or bust yeah. in today's game. And that, at times, I'm watching a lot of Braves baseball, and they are one of the worst offenders at this, where some of those guys, Marcelo Zuna, Ozzie Albies, to name two, are so bad at hitting, it's pathetic. They go up there, and they are either striking out or hitting a home run or grounding into a double play. There's no, there's no base hits from a lot of these guys. And when you have no base hits, you have – a historic amount of no-hitters through mid-May in a season. I don't think that's a good thing for the quality of the sport. And I'm tired of hearing announcers applaud a guy for hitting it to a side of the field no one's on. Boy, what a sacrifice there for that player to just, you know, choke up a little bit and make contact and get on base and hit that. And I'm thinking, that's baseball. You hit them where they ain't. 
And you don't always have to hit them where they ain't over the wall. You can hit it in the park and get on base also. It's a possibility. I, I, I'm just, and maybe part of this is my disgust with the Braves, even though they won in walk-off fashion last night. I'm disgusted with their manager making horrific decisions with the bullpen. I'm disgusted with their lineup. I'm disgusted with highly paid guys that are paid to help the team win that consistently strike out in the worst possible moments. And this no-hitter story just adds fuel to that fire because I look around the game right now and I think, this is not good for baseball that you're having this many no-hitters at this point in the season. And, and maybe you disagree, but I don't think it's a good sign for hitting in the, in the game today. Well, as long as we don't get to a point where we're, we're reaching like 10 to 15 of these. You know, six by, by the end of May is crazy, if you think about it. It's um, nuts. And, and, and what, we're, what we're seeing. I don't mind the – I mean, I, I enjoy whenever sport, ESPN will cut in live to the final three at-bats or the three outs, right? Like there's some drama there that I'm not otherwise watching. And most of these are taking place on your regional sports networks and not on – your your Sunday night game of the week on national TV where it's one nothing as the final score. So I, I don't hate it, uh, but you know me. I'm, I'm a fan of the long ball. So if it's going to be launched, it's swing away, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, look, I'm a fan of a guy like Ronald Acuna Jr. who hits home runs and gets on base Can do and it does all. a little sure. bit of everything. And he hits the walk-off home run. Crazy that everything he's done already in his young career, he's never had a walk-off home run until last night, and I'm watching it live, and Chip Carey says that fact right before the first pitch of the ninth inning. said, of all the things Ronald Acuna Jr.'s done, doesn't have one walk-off home run to his name. First pitch, home run, yep. game over, which was cool to see. But I just think there could be more variance of what we see in the game. And for a team like the Mariners, that's a complete joke. I mean, that is, a, that is an awful, that is a firm indictment on your entire operation that you get no hit twice in two weeks. That is not good. However you want to slice it, that is not a good thing to be a part of this level of history because there's so many no-hitters right now in the game. I was recording a, uh, a podcast last night, so I got home late, full disclosure, and watched the Preds for our Tennessee Power Hour so we can fully discuss their Game 2 loss. I did not watch the, the majority. I watched the very end of Curry against LeBron, Golden State against L.A. Did you see some of this? Yeah, I watched. And did it live up to the hype of what the national media wanted it to be for the play-in matchup? Well, the first half was great. I watched most of the first half. Surprising opinion that I have on this, I'm really enjoying the play-in games. Even though some have been blowouts, I like that format, and I have enjoyed it. The Grizzlies-Spurs game was really good, and the Grizzlies ended up winning, but I'm enjoying those games. First half was great. Steph Curry hit some insane threes. He had a buzzer beater in the half to, I think, put, um, put the Warriors up 14 at half. But then it was all LeBron and the Lakers in the second half, and they win it. But, yeah, I would say it lived up to the hype with the back and forth uh, between those two. But I, I am actually enjoying this format. And looking at the ratings numbers, while the ratings in the NBA are terrible and mm -hmm. way down, this is one thing that is exponentially up this time of year. When you look at these ratings versus all regular season games and then what they were at this time a, a year ago or in the similar time frame, they're up, I think, about, I want to say, 64%. These individual games. Just these individual games starting at 5.30 p.m. Central for the first one on the, on the East Coast. So I do think it's something that's here to stay, and I, I don't mind it. I, I, I sort of like it, that it's almost like a lottery-type feel to those last two seeds. Uh, in each in the east and west, I like it. Pacers and Wizards tonight, and maybe that will be part of the FanDuel parlay, the 360 parlay that we will have coming up a little bit later. Maybe it will be one leg short of the parlay last night, Chad. Yeah, I'm so I won the night before. I lost last night because Dylan Brooks was 0 for 4 from three. If Dylan Brooks hit two threes, I had Dylan Brooks with two threes, and the Grizzlies went outright. Grizzlies won outright. Uh, Dylan Brooks did not hit two threes. And the other leg of the parlay was the Warriors scoring less than 106.5, which they did. So one leg short, but one leg short in a parlay, for those don't, that don't know the parlay parlance, that's a loser. So I am a loser. I now pass it on to Hutton, who hopefully will be a winner, who will have the 360 parlay later in the show. We've got it for you uh, coming up uh, a little bit later this hour. 
uh, prior to the Tennessee Power Hour. Uh, we mentioned Ryan Leaf's coming up. A couple of other headlines, though. Tim Tebow, official in Jacksonville. He signs his contract. He's reporting uh, to the minicamp. They release a, a, a press release just to, to uh, localize it a bit. It, the press release reminded me of, like, Javon Curse returning to the Titans after he had spent uh, his career and left and went to Philly, came back to the Titans as the, the former draft pick, Urban Meyer, welcoming in uh, Tim Tebow as a tight end. And the press release with the quotes uh, for the 90th man on the roster is, is funny. It's laughable. Uh, but here we go. Here comes the, the hoopla and all of the mystique around whether or not he's going to make the roster when it's all said and done. But he's headed to training camp with the Jacksonville Jaguars to make it official. The reaction to Tim Tebow has been the story, whether overwhelmingly good or overwhelmingly negative. The fact that Tim Tebow may make the back end of the roster or probably won't, that's, that's not the story. It's everyone in the media's reaction to the story. And I'll say the ugly truth about it, that no one really, not many people are going to say it. There's a lot of media members that don't like Tim Tebow because there's a lot of Southern Republicans that love Tim Tebow, Christian Republicans. That's what they're never going to tell you, but it's the truth. They don't like the people who love Tim Tebow, so they now hate Tim Tebow and they write bad things about Tim Tebow. I, I like Tim Tebow, the person. I think he's a great person. I think he stands for a lot of great things. And I do not begrudge Tim Tebow. But I do think that there's an underserved opinion out there, and mine's one of them, that just simply has an issue with anyone that gets opportunities like this where they really have not earned them. And I, I do think that there's a group of people in the middle that feel that way about Tim Tebow. And they don't hate Tim Tebow. They hate the opportunity it represents. And I think that's human nature to respond that way. And just take it with anyone. Take Tim Tebow out of it. Take anyone who's been out of a game or a sport for seven or eight years, and you see all these people that are coming out of college or that you know, are trying hard to make the end of a roster that aren't getting the opportunities, and they see Tim Tebow, who it's sort of like the CEO's nephew getting a gig that's high-paying. It's not a high-paying gig, but you see my point. This. Yes. this is like a familial, incestuous... Oh, Urban Meyer coached you in college. Because yeah, he's not You're in the a league, guy. not for Meyer. I'm going to give you a chance, and there's some tight end working his ass off that's not getting that opportunity. I think it's human nature to not like that situation and not like that opportunity, and I think that's okay also. But the ugly truth of it is people that defend Tebow and that love Tebow, they're on one side, and there's a lot of people hating Tim Tebow and everything he's about for the reason I just said. Because there are a ton of Southern Republican Christians that love Tim Tebow, and they despise those people. That's the God's honest truth. And they're using the cover of, he's taking some They're never going spot. to admit that. There are a few people that actually admit it. You know, I've seen a few people saying, uh, I forget the media member, someone said, I hate Tim Tebow because everyone who voted for Donald Trump loves Tim Tebow. Oh. <laughs> is what they said. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, well, at least you're honest about it. Because I think there's a lot of people out there, Dan Wolken is one of them, that are honest about it. They ripped Tim Tebow, they hate Tim Tebow for the reason I just said. We love Manscaped. The Manscaped 4.0 lawnmower, perfect for Father's Day coming up. My goodness, the best, segue. The best in men's grooming. Father's Day is coming. The weather is catching heat. And whether you have a dad bod or you're rocking a six-pack like David Reed, make sure you and your dad smell great and are groomed where it matters most. Perfect for Father's Day. They all new trim of the lawnmower 4.0 with the refined cologne by Manscaped. Manscaped, the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming, just dropped their lawnmower 4.0, and it is legit. They obsess over providing the best tech, the advanced ceramic blade, the skin-safe technology. Hutton with one of the greatest segues of all time. There's no great segue into an LED spotlight, but I'll do it anyways because it provides a more precise shave. And they're now new additional guard link sizes one through four. It's waterproof, perfect for the shower, plus wireless charging. We can all get behind wireless charging. Absolutely. Manscaped providing OutKick 360 season ticket holders with a great offer. 20% off plus free shipping with the code OK360 at manscaped.com. Whether it's a gift for you, your dad, or the men in your life, 20% off and free shipping with the code OK360 at manscaped.com.
Outkick 360 is back. Glad you're with us. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton across the Outkick Network. David Reed, Jacob Swanson making the show happen for us. Sarah Triplett, our great production assistant. The Pro Football Hall of Fame is working to fill in the gaps for former and current players in providing a comprehensive solution for mental and behavioral health. And their treatment facilities are top of the line. They specialize in treating athletes. And from the Nashville Recovery Center to Vanderbilt Health here in Tennessee to treatment centers across the country, finding help has never been easier. And here's a key point of emphasis. Though the Hall of Fame Behavioral Health was mentioned, as we mentioned, it's for professional athletes. The program is open to everyone and anyone who needs help. There's no limit to who the Hall of Fame Behavioral Health Program wants to reach, and you don't have to be a professional football player or to really even ever watch a football game to get the help that you may need or to contact them. We're lucky to have former Heisman Trophy finalist and former quarterback Ryan Leaf in town this Sunday to share his story and to continue to speak out against the uh, the importance of ending the stigma surrounding mental health. He's going to be at the Nashville Recovery Center this Sunday from 2 until 4 p.m. Chad and I are happy to be advocates and friends of this cause as well. And Ryan Leaf joins us now on OutKick 360 via the magic of Zoom. Ryan, thank you so much for the time today. Hope you're doing well, man. Good morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to get you into town, and I know you're excited about uh, the work that the Pro Football Hall of Fame and, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, Behavioral Health Program and the work that they're doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've seen and experienced uh, a lot of loss this year in terms of former players. I don't know why it feels like it's hit me as hard, but uh, maybe because we're, we're all isolated in a way because of this pandemic but we've seen our brothers fall by the wayside and we saw nothing from the nfl or nothing from the nfl pa and uh the hall of fame is kind of like switzerland it really doesn't have any alliance to either one of them it's its own entity and when wes and ryan kane uh joined forces with them it became a powerful tool to help people who are in need in particular former players as well like you said uh, anybody that truly is accepting and wants help. Ryan, if there's been, uh, I, I think it's hard to say there's a lot of positives coming out of a pandemic where everyone's uh, shut in at home. But one thing that I've seen with it, and I'm curious if you found this as well, it has helped in awareness of mental health. It's really brought to light a lot of mental health issues uh, in the United States and across the world because people have been isolated during this time. Have you found that to be the case? Well, I, I think that we've seen just a lot more of it um, talked about openly and not in the shadows or in the dark because everybody's going through it. I think that before there were people who were dealing with mental health issues. Another person wasn't. They didn't have any empathy around it. But what the last 18 months essentially has done is, is it, it's shown that everybody can experience this. There are lulls. And there are moments in your existence during a time where everybody says to isolate when we are a human race that wants to embrace, wants to have fellowship. And when that wasn't there, we all experienced something very similar. And so I think there's some empathy around that now for people who may have not known, may have not experienced, or may have not been open to others talking about this openly. Ryan Leaf with us on Outkick 360. For more information, if you're in the Nashville area, about attending this free event. You can check out the Nashville Recovery Center website. And for more information on the work that the Hall of Fame is doing, hofbh.com. Ryan, I don't know why I thought of this whenever um, I learned that you were going to be there on Sunday and that you were coming on the show. But randomly, I thought of Hunter S. Thompson writing a letter to Jim Ursay back during the your draft with Manning, begging him wanting to pay him to draft you instead of Peyton Manning. And I know you've heard about this story in, in, in recent years. When did this first come to light? And did you think that it was real at first when you saw the letter? No, I, this, is, this, is, this is my story. I broke it. I was at a Dodgers game, and a guy behind me tapped me on the shoulder and uh, told me he was close to Jim Irsay and, and if I'd ever seen the Hunter S. Thompson letter. And I, I said, no, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. So he sent a, a copy of it to me. And I sent it to Rich Eisen because I was gonna, we were gonna do a little bit on yeah. the Rich Eisen show around it. 
And uh, sure enough, yeah, it was. I mean, he, he wrote a letter to Jim, um, you know, spouting off about how, how Peyton was uh, a China doll and I was a big, strong, <laughs> strapping man and would uh, would get it done for, for the Colts and not Pat Manning. So he thought that the Johnny Depp film was going to take off and he got plenty of money that uh, Jim Irsay could borrow if he needed to get a quarterback like myself. And uh, Fear and Loathing was quite popular. Yeah, it was. Yes. I didn't understand half of it, but all my friends were watching it, so I did too. It was one of those one of those deals. Um, the the Heisman Trophy ceremony with you and Woodson and Moss and Peyton. What was that night like behind the scenes, looking back on that evening? Well, it was a wonderful wonderful night for me. I, I knew I wasn't going to win. So therefore, uh, I just enjoyed every moment. Um, now, don't get me wrong; I would have loved to have been the Heisman Trophy winner, and sure. But Charles had to stay there. Charles had to stay there all night and sign autographs and do media and all these things. And then the Mannings, who I I assume thought he was a shoe in for the award, like everybody else, myself included, I think had had rented out a, a restaurant to celebrate in or so, or something like that. So I had to go and and kind of you know be melancholy on on that uh, night. Randy was a mess. Randy was, was going through an anxiety attack, panic attack, kind of. He wouldn't take off his glasses. Uh, and it just had to – I wish I would have known then and tried to comfort him because hmm. no, one, no one knew what was going on. And, and myself, I, I just didn't know I was going to win. I knew I wasn't going to win. So, you know, my head coach and I went and saw Saturday. We got tickets to Saturday Night Live. We saw uh, Jack Nicholson was the host. Um, then we went to a bar where all the former winners and – and ESPN media types were at, and we party all night. I went behind the bar and was bartending with Gino Toretta and, <laughs> and uh, you know, ended up coming home at like, you know, three in the morning, and there was a yeah. piano in the middle of the uh, downtown athletic club, and there was a bunch of former winners all around it playing karaoke or singing karaoke to the piano songs, and um, right in the middle of it was my father, John Leaf, who had a better Heisman night than I did probably with all the – all the interactions with those former winners, heroes that he had growing up, probably the coolest thing that, that football ever gave me. You and Gino Toretta as bartenders in New York City is a sitcom that I would, I would pay to watch for sure. So <laughs> Gino you, and Ryan, yeah, slanging <laughs> drinks. That's right, yes. Uh, so when you, you think back at, you know, at that time in, in the Heisman, um, I have long argued that Peyton Manning was sort of the victim of a media fatigue throughout his entire life. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah, and it, it all culminated in that moment where, I will say it, Peyton Manning was absolutely robbed of a Heisman Trophy by a guy who had four total touchdowns, who played both offense, defense, and also played special teams. And that's not taking anything away from Charles Woodson. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a great player, obviously. But when you look back now, so many years later, what do you think about Peyton not winning the Heisman that night? Um, I, I think that was that was it. You know, there was some... There was some fatigue, you know. He decided to come back for that senior year, and um, and they had all these expectations, and they just they, again they couldn't get over. They won the SEC championship, you know. You that usually bodes well, and, and then they got throttled by Nebraska in the in, in the co-national championship game. Um, I mean, voters are going to vote. You know, it, it was an anomaly that year. The only defensive player to win it was in our year, which was arguably the best. Heisman class ever. Three Hall of Famers are in that photo with me. It's pretty impressive. Um, I look back on it now, and I, I think that uh, I, I don't see how I didn't win it. I led the nation in passing. Um, I had more touchdowns than Peyton. I led my team that was picked seventh in, in the conference before the season started to uh, a Rose Bowl, the first time that had happened in 67 years. Out of the four, I was probably the most worthy that year to win it. But because I was in such a small market on the West Coast, you know, that wasn't going to happen. So I really felt like it, it was Peyton's award. He came back. He won a championship by winning his conference. They hadn't done that forever. Um, and he really built the team. If he had one year left, if he had redshirted, he would have probably he would have been the member of that national championship team in the next year that T. Martin and the Tennessee Volunteers went on to win. So, I mean, it was surprising for me because I just assumed Peyton was going to win it. Uh, just like every quarterback award that year that I was up against Peyton in, uh, he won. Except for one. I won the Sammy Bach Quarterback of the Year Award, which still stuns me to this day. I actually won an award uh, in a year that Peyton Manning was the was the uh, <laughs> corresponding quarterback. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I just got to experience a really cool thing um, that night. 
Well, and you make a compelling argument with uh, what you said about, about your year there at Washington State. When you think about Peyton Manning now and you guys see each other at, at any point, um, when I think of Peyton, when I think of Ryan Leaf, I think of Peyton Manning. And I think of that, that Heisman race and I think of the, the battle over who's going to be the first pick in the NFL draft and everything else. So there's a lot of sports minds that immediate, immediately think of the two of you together. When you guys yeah. see each other, Ryan, is there that sort of camaraderie between the two of you about the debate leading up to the NFL draft? Well, not about the debate. We just know we're irreparably you know, tied to one another. And we've stayed close. His family stayed close during a lot of my struggles, which is amazing. You know, I texted him yesterday uh, on any recommendations for golf in Nashville this weekend. He came back with a couple good ones. Um, yeah, we just stay in touch. You know, we're now we're both dads, um, about the same age, raising kids and um, doing something in kind of the broadcasting side of things. Him with his ESPN Plus show, Peyton's Places, and doing a you know a bunch of different things with commercials and stuff like that. Myself working for Sirius XM and ESPN, and it's just uh, you know we're we're forty five year old dads now that no longer play football and now can just enjoy a friendship that uh, was tied to us, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Do you get tired of talking about Peyton? I feel like, you know, knowing you were coming on, I was like, I'm sure he's tired of talking about the Heisman, talking about number one versus number two pick. But that's the point of conversation. Like viewers tune in, they see your name. They, They want to discuss that topic. What's it like being the guy that always has to answer those questions? It is what it is, right? You can't control <laughs> that. I mean, if you're willing to put yourself out there and, and, and go on sports talk shows and, and yeah. kind of lay your life bare, that's just, that's it, you know? I think it's a it's kind of a humbling experience to be in the same sentence as Peyton Manning, that we were neck and neck on who should be drafted. You know, one had a successful NFL career, one did not. Uh, that is a dime a dozen in this conversation. I think there's just a ton of expectation on me uh, that I didn't live up to, and therefore everybody assumes that I I don't like the discussion uh, revolving Peyton Manning. I think he's an ex- you know, a great man. Um, and I always am implored by how he was able to do it. That's that's the biggest question I ask him sometimes. Like, you know, how did you do it? Because I know how difficult it is. Uh, how difficult is it for every quarterback drafted in the top five? How difficult that is. And the ones that are able to accomplish big things, uh, it's a miracle. That's that's the exception. The rule is, you know, you're going to wash out of the NFL. That's just that's just the way it is. You have one one top ten um, quarterback uh, in the last ten years to win a Super Bowl, and that's Patrick Mahomes. Everybody else, you know, yeah. hasn't got it done. And you certainly understand the pressure that comes with that, right? Like, what what advice do you lend with the the, the five quarterbacks that we saw go in the first round this past April? Uh, when you when you think about what they're what they're under the scrutiny and the pressure and the grind that comes with that position and the expectations that every fan base and, and every media member has of those individuals, well, I just tell them to understand that it starts all over, right? Just whatever you've done to this point to get drafted so high, that's over. Um, you had no control over where you were going to get drafted. That was in the hands of somebody else. And if they chose to take you in the first round, you get all the pressure and all the stress and all the everything that comes with it. So what you need to do is see yourself as the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, period, day one. You walk into that locker room, you go find a guy that has played 10 or 12 years in this league, you ask him how he did it, and then you follow his advice verbatim. That's what you do. Uh, I had a, two perfect examples. I had Rodney Harrison and Junior Seau on the other side of the football when I got to San Diego, and I just didn't do it, right? I just more interested in kind of being their buddies than I was learning how to get it done. And that's what really set me back. Uh, So that's the biggest piece of advice I give those quarterbacks uh, when I do speak to them at the combine or anywhere else when they enter the NFL draft is that um, this is a team game. You are going to get all the blame and all the uh, accolades when you win or lose. It's not fair, but it's the way it is. It's the position you chose to play. And this is how you have to go about doing it. And there's things I didn't do because I was as talented as anybody, uh, when I was drafted, probably more talented than Peyton Manning. I just didn't uh, have it between the ears on how to get it done. And that's why it's so impressive. And uh, it's so needed to, to, to be told to these young men.
So the Titans drafted Isaiah Wilson in the first round a year ago, and uh, we're here a year later, and he's completely out of football. And it did not work out for a number of reasons, and some of them, uh, some incidents off the field uh, with Isaiah Wilson. When you see a story like that, Ryan, or you start to see incidents popping up, or maybe even just one incident with a very talented player, early in their NFL career, or even with you covering college football uh, for Sirius and ESPN, because of your own personal struggles, does your antenna pop up a little bit quicker than others when you see something like that happen? Well, I have a different probably perspective than others. Uh, People immediately go, how can this guy who has everything wasted all away? Well, I can have empathy around what uh, an individual is going through, uh, whether it's through mental health struggles or substance abuse issues. I can can empathize with that. So, yeah, I I definitely go in that direction. But the NFL is not for the, you know, the weak of mind. You know, it doesn't suffer fools uh, because the NFL is not going to help you with your mental health disorder. Right, they're they're going to kick you out of the league, and then you can go deal with that on your own. Uh, and that's a bigger issue, right? The the mental health side of it, and and you don't address it because the stigma exists, and that's why we're doing what we're doing this weekend, and it's why the Behavioral Health Center has teamed up with the Hall of Fame to try to help players going through mental health illnesses. Because I remember at the end of my career, I, I didn't feel comfortable walking into the head coach's office in Seattle with Mike Holmgren and telling him, "Hey." I, I, I don't know what's wrong. I, I feel lazy. I can't get out of bed. And I just I feel sad all the time. I don't know what's 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 wrong. Instead, I just quit because I didn't know what that was. Um, I hadn't been diagnosed. Um, you don't go into the locker room. And I don't think I've ever heard anybody in the locker room my whole life say, I'm really struggling here. You, you guys, can, can somebody help me? I've never heard it. So that's what we're trying to destroy in all this, that stigma that you can do this. And we've seen players have recently come out and talk more about it, but it's still rampant. And the NFL in itself won't do anything about it, right? They just, they, they want to make their money. And I get it. They're a capitalistic business, right? They're about making money. That's what they are. So juxtaposed against the idea that your current and former players are dealing with mental health and substance abuse issues, uh, they don't, they don't, they don't need to care about that. And I get it. I just, We've been sold a bill of goods with all the propaganda that they continue to spew out that they are there for people when they're not. And then when your union doesn't line it up either, that's an even bigger problem because they're supposed to be advocating for you and your health and safety and everything like that. That's why, again, I can't I can't thank enough the, the Hall of Fame who's not tied to either entity. It's kind of been itself as a third party willing to partner up with the in their behavioral health um, platform to, to try to help former players and hopefully current players as well, because if the situation with Isaiah um, Isaiah Wilson is 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 just is a perfect one of that, where his mental health has just run rampant, and no one has done anything about it. They just kept pointing to the fact that he's wasted such an opportunity, or they pointed out how Tennessee uh, blew it by drafting something <laughs> somebody like that in the first round instead of actually addressing the problems. How much of it, too, just trying to put myself at the at the age of these players now? is, oh, I'll, I need to deal with this later. You, you, we mentioned the PA not doing enough. Um, it, it's the former players that are looking back on what they wish they would have done. And how difficult is it to get the current players to buy into the negotiation of what the former players wish they would have done? You see where I'm going with that? Like changing the mentality and the mindset of, let's get what we have to get right now and then worry about the rest later. It's so hard. Well, first of all, former players don't have a voice in the collective yeah. bargaining and, uh, uh, negotiations. That's that's the main thing. I mean, if a former player's voice isn't heard, how can a current player figure it out? Because a current player never believes they're going to be a former player. They never believe they're going to need any of the benefits that exist for the former player because they've going to have made tens of millions of dollars, right? And they see the benefits that um, we get as former players as almost you know charity or or welfare because I've got millions and millions of dollars. The transition is so difficult. You've been this thing, this identity for so long. So they don't understand it. So first off, there needs to be a voice in the negotiating room for the former player. It just just has to. Um, the current players are all, all they care about is um, all the things that exist for them in their little bubble, in their circle, right? And that's how many practices, uh, how many preseason games, how many regular season games, what's the, the cap gonna be, um, you know, what is the, um, 
you know, revenue sharing, all of these things in the current status, but they never address the former player side of it. Uh, and when and when it's done, and when the CBA is signed, the, the former players just have to to eat it, whatever it is. And if there's crumbs thrown your way, you you just have to take it. Like we didn't have a say in anything, so that's just the way it is. So, Ron, you talked about that lack of empathy a lot of times from fans of sports when someone's suffering with substance abuse or mental health issues. I think oftentimes, and I can speak for myself, the issues come when you can see someone that doesn't want to help themselves. And I'll look at Isaiah Wilson as an example. He doesn't think anything's wrong. He doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. He thinks everyone else is an idiot uh, for, for being concerned about him. You've lived this. You've gone through with this. Is it possible to help someone who doesn't want to help themselves? Or does that person have to come to the realization, this isn't leading me down a good path. I need help. I need help. And now I'm vulnerable to someone giving me that help. How do you view a situation like that? Yeah, I, I work with a ton of, ton of people who are, who are dealing with mental health and substance abuse issues. And if they're not willing to completely surrender and accept help, there's nothing much you can do. Um, but you can keep trying. You can keep trying to be that solution for them and give them what they need. And if they if they continue to turn you down and turn you down and turn you down, that's that's ultimately on them. That's their choice. You can't control that. So like this weekend, you know, finally traveling for the first time since this pandemic had started to give back, I didn't realize how much I craved that or needed that um, to be able to, to be of service to a community. And I don't know why Nashville... Uh, or the state of Tennessee, which is Peyton Manning country, has, has has really wrapped me in their arms. Out of all of my speaking engagements over the last four years, the most has been in the state of Tennessee, for whatever reason, when I've talked about behavioral health, substance abuse, any of those. And uh, I'm so excited to be get, get back there this weekend and, and do what I do, and that's try to be part of the solution. And when I walk into that room and I give my talk on Sunday afternoon, and I look around the room, those that take my message uh, and think, hey, you know, this is just a bunch of crap or take it and absorb it or eventually down the line when they hit a space where they need something like that, they have it. And that's what I've done. That's, I'm doing my part. In the, in the case of Isaiah Wilson, people have tried and they continue to try to help him. And he's not willing and he's not ready and he's not able to accept and surrender completely. And that's nothing you can do about it until somebody's hit their bottom, whatever that looks like. The hope in all of this is that he hears something eventually that he doesn't have to get to a bottom like I got to, where I was willing to take my life and end up in a prison cell, right? That's that's the hope in all of this. And the reason why I continue to talk about it and go about my business, because you know it's incredibly emotionally draining to talk about stuff like this. But it's I know it's worthwhile. I know it's going to make a difference. That's something I would have never been able to do as a football player if I would have had a bunch of success. I would have never been able to have the impact that I'm going to have because of all my stuff that I went through and overcame. That's that's the bigger issue in all of this. Ryan Leaf, our guest, will be speaking at the Nashville Recovery Center uh, this Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m. NashvilleRecoveryCenter.com for more information uh, as he gets to town this Sunday. Ryan, on the way out, which 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 of these quarterbacks was your favorite th- during the draft process and why? Well, Trevor Lawrence, uh, I've followed him for his entire college career. I've spent a lot of time at, with the Clemson program and around Trevor the last few years when I spoke to the team and did some work with Dabo and that crew. So I know them really well, and he is about as uh, – about a greater prospect coming in the NFL since Andrew Luck. I really do believe that. Unfortunately, you know, it's with the Jacksonville Jaguars, but there are quarterbacks. <laughs> uh, they're rare that change the environment when you get there. Peyton Manning is a perfect example. He changed the environment of Indianapolis. He changed the environment to winning football. And maybe Trevor Lawrence has that ability. I know he has that ability. It's just a matter of if that team can can combine it, uh, whether Urban Meyer is willing to struggle uh, and stick around and deal with adversity. He's never done it. He's never had a sub-500 coaching season in his career. Both him and Trevor Lawrence, who's never lost a regular season game, are about to find out what it's like to lose a bunch of games. You know, They could lose anywhere from 10 to 15 games, I would I would imagine, this season. So uh, I really like him. I think I, I thought Justin Fields was the number two guy. Uh, he slips all the way to 11. I think the Chicago Bears got a great, great quarterback for their future there. Um, I think the two guys had the, the best – 
chance at success are Trey Lance and, and Mac Jones because of the systems and uh, the organizations they fell to. I think that's that what that gives them the advantage, and it's most likely both of them are going to sit this entire year uh, for both those teams, uh, for the Patriots and the 49ers. But they get an extra month or two, theoretically, barring some injury, uh, at least on paper, right, where you mentioned the systems. Chad, you bet Trey Lance for Rookie of the Year yeah, based just on the system that, itself, that's right? That's my bet because of Shanahan and because the team he's going to. That's already yeah, good. right. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, they probably have to give him rookie of the year in year two or year three. I think Jimmy, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get that team back to uh, okay, uh, pretty pretty damn good place this year. I don't expect to see Trey Lance play, except in the preseason this season. Well, you just crushed Chad's hopes. Well, no, and I, I will say, Ryan, I actually took the bet more so because the odds were so long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that you could yeah, put $5 yeah. down and it's so long. Trey Lance is way down the list. There's a reason why yeah. it's so long. Yeah, uh, yeah I took a flyer on, yeah, I definitely took a, a long-distance flyer on Trey Lance starting early in the year uh, for San Francisco. So there are some players that have better odds, like the one you like the most, Trevor That's Lawrence, right. who has the best odds to be rookie of the year. Hey. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to do it in, in Jacksonville. I, I, I really do think so. It's going to be really, really difficult to, to win in Jacksonville. But I, I think that he's got the wherewithal to get it done. What do you think that locker room will be like with Tim Tebow in it? Well, I mean, if he makes the team because of merit, I think it will be fine. Because if you can contribute to the team and help them win, players are going to be okay with that. Now, if he makes the roster uh, and – no one saw him really do much out on the football field. They're going to be pretty pissed that that you know the coaches the coaches um, you know handed it to him. Yeah, essentially um, made the team for no apparent reason other than to collect a paycheck uh, that can't contribute to the team and helping them win. Then there's going to be some blowback, but that won't happen until there's a roster uh, that's complete. I mean, they bring in a ton of guys to for camp legs and camp arms and all these things that have no chance of making the team. And, you know, if he can't contribute, which I think it's going to be really difficult for him to do, then I'm sure he'll be cut. And uh, the story will just be a thing where he, you know, he came to camp and tried to prove it one last time and, and just couldn't get it done. Mental and behavioral health advocate and, of course, former NFL player, Ryan Leaf has been our guest. He will be in Nashville uh, for a speaking engagement at the Nashville Recovery Center this Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m. Ryan, thank you for the time, man. We really appreciate it. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. You bet. You guys have a great rest of the week. Yep, you too. Thanks, Ryan. We will see Ryan Leaf on Sunday. And this is a free event. If you would like to attend, the information there on the screen. Uh, you can go to NashvilleRecoveryCenter.com for more information. And the Hall of Fame Behavioral Health, it's an easy-to-use concierge line that is easily uh, able to pair you with a treatment center in your area that meets your needs. 866-901-1241 is the number, 901-1241. Or you can go to hofbh.com for more information on that, plus more information on how they can help you if you're uh, struggling financially but you still need to find help. hofbh.com. And again, you don't have to be an athlete to reach out and get help. Great chat there with Ryan Leaf. I, I love the fact, Chad, that he went to SNL after the Heisman ceremony. Yeah, and then went uh, and partied after that also yeah. with a lot of ESPN people and former Heisman winners and was uh, behind the bar with Gino Toretta at that moment also. Um, you can see why Ryan Leaf has done a good job in media. Yeah. Every time he does things like this, and we're happy to have him on this show, but he is terrific at telling his story, telling other stories. Always a pleasure when we get a chance to talk to him. Our thanks to Ryan for joining us. John McClain's coming up in about 30 minutes, but when we come back, uh, we get into a current college head coach that turned down a massive offer to be an NFL head coach. And why? We'll discuss why Matt Campbell remains at Iowa State. Chad, let us know about Renner's Warehouse. Renner's Warehouse, I've been working with them, talking about them for a while, and for good reason, because they help so many people regardless of your financial situation. And if you own rental property and need cash, they've got their upfront program going on right now. By giving you your money upfront, Renters Warehouse helps minimize risk and provides financial flexibility so you can build long-term wealth. They're going to give you a full year of rent or up to a full year of rent paid upfront when you sign up with Renters Warehouse. The upfront rent pro program is available 
for a limited time. Call Renner's Warehouse Nashville at 615-398-9550 or visit rwnashville.com to see if you qualify. Renterswarehouse.com, again, the website for this offer, rwnashville.com. Do it the Renter's Warehouse way and get tomorrow's rent today. Matt Campbell turned down a bunch of money from Detroit to stay in college football. We discuss that next on Outkick 360. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton, PK with the day off. Chad, Matt Campbell reports out that he turned down near $70 million uh, to become the head coach of the Detroit Lions to stay at Iowa State. Um, Earlier this offseason, it was reported that he had no interest in even hearing from the Texas Longhorns on their job opening. What's he up to? Yeah, and and we're showing right now, if you're watching, that the tweet that got my attention but the initial report came from Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports. $68.5 million over eight years he was offered by the Detroit Lions. Now, this immediately makes everybody say, what in the hell is Matt Campbell doing and what is he thinking that he would elect to stay in Ames, Iowa and not go to the NFL, even if it's the Detroit Lions, to not go to the NFL? What in the world is he thinking? And my response is, what does it say about us that we are so conditioned to believe that if you get offered more money, you got to take it. That that's automatically you're gone the moment more money is. I think this is the agent influence in sports that's taught us to believe this because coaches listen to their agents a lot of times. I'm sure that Joe Paterno was offered more money. I don't know if Joe Paterno had an agent. I'm sure Bobby Bowden was offered more money when they were starting those programs, really, from the ground up and building them to go somewhere else, and, and they ended up staying. Matt Campbell could turn Iowa State into one of those programs, for for all that we know. But it's so shocking when you see someone turn down a lot more money and a bigger opportunity to stay somewhere. Now, Matt Campbell may just be very different. He may not be money-driven and saying, I'm making a lot of money now. I'm set. Well, I I like it here. I like how loyal this university's been to me, so I'm going to stay. But he's... He's being discussed in this manner because of what he's turned down previously. And the talking points have been, and Brent Hubbs brought this up last week with us. What's he waiting on? He's waiting on the right job to open up. Well, the thought was that would be the NFL. Is this going to be the time that he has the opportunity to jump to the NFL? Job comes open, $68 million. That's the report, and he turns it down. Tennessee has called him about their job openings in the past. Texas was interested. He had no interest in Texas. So the, the question would be, because he's, his name comes up in every big job opening across the country, what job is he waiting on? And a part of this is he's currently at Iowa State. It's not like he's at Ohio State and they're waiting on the NFL or the Dallas <coughs> Cowboys to come calling, right? That's the intrigue to me. And the other part of this, too, is we're assuming that everything is just exactly on an even playing field. Few have referenced Matt Rule, who turned down the New York Jets because they wanted control of his coaching staff. They gave him good money when he's the Baylor head coach to leave and become the Jets head coach, and he turned them down. They end up with Adam Gase because he wanted control of his coaching staff because he's the head coach, and rightfully so. And then Carolina came calling. He got a massive contract, uh, upwards, just I believe, just under what Gruden is receiving in or Oakland turned Vegas. And things are working out for Matt Rule now in Carolina. So is it a similar situation? I thought of Matt Rule turning down the Jets when I heard of Campbell turning down the Lions. Well, this is what's crazy, and this is from the quote from Dennis Dodd, who reported this story. And I guess he's in an interview setting saying this. But he says, in the offseason, Matt Campbell turned down an eight-year, $68.5 million offer from the Lions with full control. Mm. He says, I haven't confirmed that part of it, but he turned this down to stay at Iowa State. And he says, now if I'm Matt Campbell's wife, I'm having some questions. But he sees his upward arch better at Iowa State than at the Lions, who are annually in disarray. So... I guess the thought is that he's willing to leave Iowa State for the right NFL franchise, 
or for the right college pro. I don't know if it's not Texas. Right? I mean, there's that's, only. That's what I'm like, it's more of a regional fit to me. It's Ohio State, you know, or it's some. It's who's. There's not many programs ahead of Texas. If we're listing, so then it becomes more of a regional thing to me of where he wants to go. If we're listing the top coaches across college football, he's a top ten coach. Like he, he's he's among the top ten. I think he's a top list. ten coach in all of football, based on what an NFL team was willing to offer him. Dan Campbell even joked in an interview. He said, "Pretend my name is Matt when right. you negotiate with the Lions." Right. And he said they were going to land on a Campbell either way, so Campbells can get the job done. But I thought that was funny that he knew what they were talking to Matt Campbell about, and he said, hey, try to get me that offer, which they didn't. But it's, <laughs> I mean, and rightfully so, right? But I just keep going back to the immediate reaction is, and mine was the same. What in the world is going on that this guy would like to stay at Iowa State with no history for a lot less money than go coach any NFL team? I don't care that it's the Lions. But maybe Matt Campbell's just very different, too. He's not. There are people who aren't completely money driven, which is That's a right. shock to some people. But they're not just going to take more money, even if it's double the amount of money. You know, the whole back the 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 Brinks truck up theory. It works with most people. It clearly didn't work with Matt Campbell, so it's not going to work with everyone. That doesn't always play, and it clearly doesn't play with this guy. Uh, the Preds put their coaching search on. It was it was brief when they decided to go with John Hines. Uh, we'll discuss how things are going with the Nashville Predators. That's our lead story in John the Tennessee Hines Power Hour. John Hines may be Hour. accelerating the next coaching search for the Preds. Oh, but his teams play hard. His teams play hard. Got to keep that in mind. Uh, they're down 2-0, uh, or down 0-2, I should say, to, to Carolina. We discussed what we saw last night with the Preds and the Hurricanes and the, the impact on Game 3 coming up right here in Nashville. Uh, plus, we'll hear from John McClain in about 20 minutes on OutKick 360. Hang with us. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.